This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Making the most of now. Young women in Otatahi Christchurch, New Zealand, talk about living through the earthquakes, the mosque shootings, and the COVID-19 pandemic. These oral histories were recorded by Louise Tapper and Rosemary Duplice. Thanks to the Christchurch branch of the National Council of Women, the Collaborative Trust, and UC Quake Studies. Marianne, a 28-year-old lawyer, talks about her experiences today. What's happening in your life at the moment? What's happening in my life at the moment? Well, it's um, very busy, like most people. Um, I work four days uh, as a lawyer at the hospital, uh, and that keeps me rather busy. Um, I am undertaking a little bit of additional study at the moment on a Friday, which is lovely. So I'm doing a coaching course um, to learn about executive coaching, which is great. Uh, I'm doing um, quite a lot of um, exercise and swimming, which is fantastic, helps keep me grounded. And my husband and I are building a house, um, which again is keeping us very busy and quite scary uh, seeing all the money coming out of the bank account. Can you just tell me a little bit more about your job? What is what does your role involve as yeah, a lawyer at the sure, hospital? Sure. So I'm an employment lawyer by practice, by trade, and um, we have a very small team um, at the hospital, uh, and we basically do what external lawyers would do in terms of employment or law advice, but we sit in the hospital. Um, so what that looks like, we have 13,000 employees between Canterbury and the West Coast. Uh, we have a full HR team. So what we are is essentially escalation points for um, our HR professionals or any other management that have questions about employment law. Uh, it can be individual issues, so disciplinary issues, um, problems with um, interpreting contracts or much wider things like um, managing when our staff go on strike um, and negotiating contracts with our major unions. And what about your living situation at the moment? Um, you say you're building a house, so mm -hmm. what, what is your, um, your household makeup at the moment? Uh, it's just myself and my husband. So if we think about, um, just go over a bit of Christchurch-related history now, sure. and there's been a bit of it over the past decade or so for poor old Christchurch, what do you remember most about the time of the Canterbury earthquakes? Um, I mean, there's, there's so much that went on. Uh, and, and I interpret that question, um, for me pers personally, it was more of a feeling um, in terms of um, how I felt during the time. Or do, do you want me to, to share a little bit about what I did during that time? Why don't you do both? Do what you did during the time and then tell, me, tell us so how what, you felt. Okay, so what I remember about the Christchurch earthquakes, um, I was at university during that time. I was second year law school. Um, I remember, I mean, I remember obviously everything that went on in terms of the, the shaking and the, um, the events. Um, is there anything specific you want me to talk on or I'm just... So at the, uh, for the September earthquake, mm -hmm. the first one, where were you then? Yep. So uh, that was quite funny, actually. Like everyone, it was the morning, 4 a.m., and uh, I was sleeping in my flat. Um, I was in bed. I um, felt the shaking and was actually really proud of myself because I remembered my primary school training, which was to get up and get under the desk. So I did that. And it was quite funny. Um, I felt... I didn't feel scared when the earthquakes happened. I, I was, I think like most people, I was just a bit confused. But I was meant to be going to my job at the shoe shop that day. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, all the shoes have fallen over. I'm going to have to pick up all the shoes. I didn't quite appreciate the gravity of what had happened. Um, I didn't appreciate it to the extent that I didn't even call my parents because I didn't think, oh, they mustn't have felt it. Uh, they live out in Rangura. Um, and then I just hopped back into bed and went back to sleep. Yeah. 
And the one at university, you were at university for the, the major February one? Yes. Yep. So that was our first or second day back. Um, and I was at my then boyfriend's house um, for some lunch. And um, that was, I remember feeling quite frightened during that one um, because we were in a house and there was a lot of glass um, in cabinets and things like that. And um, similarly, went under, you know, the instincts kicked in, went under the table, um, but a lot of glass was coming out. And so I found that a lot more frightening personally than the September one. Um, yeah. But you were with someone you knew, not at a university lecture or anything like that? No, no, I wasn't, yeah. Um, so I felt quite lucky that that happened there. <laughs> and what about the impact that the quakes had on you? Mm. Um, so I think the biggest thing I've had on reflecting um, was that I was never afraid of the earthquakes but the Im in terms of what they happen and the continual aftershocks but the impact it had is that it created um, a huge amount of anxiety in other areas of life for me like and I and I I've never I don't like to pinpoint it to the earthquakes, but that's when anxiety for me started to rise a lot. And it probably didn't help that it coincided when I was at law school, um, which is an inherently stressful time anyway. Um, but the impact was a constant being on edge, um, which I still carry with me today. Um, and that, that's just something that we, that many people will. but. Um, that constantly being on edge became so normal for me that it's it is still normal for me to be on edge if that kind of makes sense. Um, I probably was quite predisposed to being anxious, um, but I think it was a perfect storm of earthquakes law school. But it, it definitely was the earthquakes, um, and that's why the initial when you asked me, it's more that feeling that I remember around the earthquakes, mm -hmm. this lack of control, but it was quite confusing for me because I never felt scared of the earthquakes. I never felt scared that the house was going to come down on me. It was a feeling of, um, yeah, a lack of control um, throughout the period. And that's what resonates most with me for those two years, that it was where it was really intense. Um, because in the earthquakes, it wasn't just... Um, it wasn't just what was going on, you know, in Christchurch or around me in terms of, um, you know, um, services being cut and things. It was, in the in the university context, it was hugely disruptive and it was, um, you know, we would have exams on one day and then the next day they'd be cancelled. So it wasn't just those initial earthquakes, it was that period around it and the lack the lack of certainty it created for me and therefore the lack of control I felt, which created anxiety. Yeah. And you hadn't been used to that, had you felt that you hadn't had those feelings before? You, you, you'd generally been in control before? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's hard because it was a pivotal time in my life in terms of going from high school to university. So there's a lot of change that happens in that period. Um, but I think what was already a turbulent time in a young person's life, it was heightened by, by the earthquakes that were going on. Um, that's the negative impact. There are positive impacts from the, um, <laughs> from the earthquakes, which I can share as well. But um, yeah. So, so what were the, you know, how did what were the positive ones? How did they sort of impact on you? Know, how did they change your life? Yeah, so um, I was really involved in the student volunteer army um, when that came out of when that happened um, in the earthquakes, and so the so it wasn't I guess the earthquake itself. It was what resulted in that movement, um, and what that did for me was really um, change my trajectory and how I viewed the career or the work that I wanted to do. I'd never really experienced community service before that point. Um, we do a little bit in high school, but but not um, not really a lot back then. I'm glad to see there's a lot more now. Um, so the positive, I guess, was that I had the time and the opportunity to get out in the community and do some really good things. And I saw the benefit 
not just for the community but for myself and that's that got me thinking a lot more differently about the type of work that I wanted to do um, and while I'm still doing law right now I did divert off for, for quite a bit after university to do some other things mm -hmm. um, and that was really my earthquake experience with the student while in Tarami and serving in the community was really pivotal in helping shape that that career trajectory mm -hmm. yeah so what were some of the other things you did, Marianne? You, you took time out of law, did you? Or yeah, so I finished law school, finished university, worked in a private firm for a year um, and really enjoyed um, the experience but just deep down knew that I didn't want to be a private practice lawyer. It wasn't for me. I didn't feel like it had the, um, the uh, I don't want to say community aspect, but the, the, the satisfaction I was um, wanting in terms of helping people. So I... Um, chopped it all and went and went on a leadership program in Hawaii of all places um, and ended up staying there for two years working um, I finished the leadership program and then worked with an amazing um, amazing woman who does a lot of research um, in women's economic empowerment initiatives so ended up doing that with her for two years um, and that exposed me to just a whole nother world of work in terms of, um, it's quite a long story, but I did quite a lot of work around the legal barriers for women um, in economies and to entering into business and that type of thing. So I got to really mix my law with some really positive work. Um, and that was where I really found what I was looking for back, what I experienced in the earthquakes in terms of helping others. It was a bit disjointed. I wasn't physically going out and helping people, but I could see the impact of my work in a much more tangible way. Um, and then I came back to New Zealand after that and continued to do that work on a consulting basis. Um, but as we're building the house, I needed some more um, constant income um, and then managed to get a job in the hospital. Um, which has been satisfying in other ways that I'd never quite experienced in private practice. So it's been a bit of a full circle, yeah. So are you still involved in the Student Volunteer Army? Yes, I am. So I'm a trustee for the organisation, yeah. And are you still involved in, in doing that, uh, your work with um, uh, young women in employment? Yes, yeah. Yeah, not as much as I was previously. Um, I just do a few projects here and there with my old boss. Um, I did work with her full-time when I was at home through my consultancy, but then moved away from it um, while I'm at the hospital. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And is that, you're finding that you sort of, you can um, gel the two, you can have the work that you do that gives you, that you feel is valuable, valued and, um, you know, satisfies your, I guess, um, you know, social impact. Yeah. Um, needs and then you can also do the work that brings home the bacon I guess. Yeah yeah and, and I'm lucky though because the hospital um, surprised me a lot in terms of the work. Um, it's an incredibly complex workplace and, um, with you know we have everything from you know gardeners to surgeons to accountants to lawyers to admin people and um, and we might talk about this a little bit more later on but I just feel so privileged to be a part of our health sector it, even in a, in a side way I'm not directly treating patients but the work I do contributes to something that I'm really really proud of so that's that was been quite a revelation for me because I always thought the law could never be something that I would could use to help people I, from my first experiences in a private practice law firm I got quite disillusioned with the the value of the law and helping others so um, that's what I mean when I was surprised about going back into an in-house job so yeah Okay, but the experiences of the earthquakes have been um, certainly had an impact on, on you. Oh, massive impact on me. I feel, um, I, I feel proud of, my, of getting through them in the way I, I did. Um, I feel proud of finishing my law degree during them. Um, proud of all the other students that did it. And um, while it's definitely had a big, quite a large impact on my mental health and who I am today, it's also an experience that I wouldn't change because it's made me who I am today. Um, and it's made the community that we have today, which I'm incredibly proud of and proud of to be a part of, yeah. What about the time of the mosque shootings? Mm -hmm. 
um, what was happening for you in your life then? Yeah, so this was two years ago now, I think, or just over two years. One year? Half One and a half, yeah. Um, mosque shootings. I am quite similar life to what I have now. I was working um, at the hospital um, as a lawyer at that time. Um, I remember, I mean, I guess there's two elements to it. There's my professional and my personal. Um, so professionally, um, uh, do you mean on the day or this, the events sort of surrounding it? Starting with the day. Starting and then, with and then, the day. Then what, how it sort yeah. of, you know, sure. afterwards what happened for sure. you. Mm. So I was, um, it was a Friday, so I wasn't at work. Um, I was actually at the, the climate strike with the school students uh, on that Friday, which was um, such a cool thing to be a part of. I sort of just spur of the moment um, decided to go and um, when it happened um, the police very calmly came in and, and dispersed everyone from the from the cathedral square which I thought they did a fantastic job of in hindsight. Um, I um, didn't know what was going on, just got in my car and went to the Palms. It was at that point when I got in my car that my friend from Hawaii actually texted me and said, what's going on in Christchurch? There's an armed gunman. So my friend overseas knew before I did, uh, which I always appreciate and love her so much for messaging me all the time. Um, and I just felt very shocked, um, but didn't quite know at that point. Then I went to the Palms and walked into the Palms and did some shopping. Um, and then came out and I was driving home and that's when I heard on the radio what had happened. And I just, I just cried. I just felt like a feeling I'd never felt before, such shock. Um, and also it was, it was just horrific. It was just so, so sad and so soul destroying hearing that number, 50, well, they didn't know at that time, I think they said about 50 people. And um, it was, yeah, it was horrible. Um, so I wasn't at work that day, so I felt very lucky I wasn't, because colleagues who were, were obviously got locked in the buildings and that, that sense of, um, that for me would have been incredibly frightening. Um, so yeah, that was the day. <laughs> Um, like many people, I mean, even just reflecting on it, that I remember it, you know, I guess that's like many events people remember broadly, but um, then I, like most people, watched the news and kept up with it all and just felt so, I don't know if the, what the word was, like lost. The next day I went out for dinner with a friend, we both just didn't know what to do with ourselves, um, so we went for dinner and it was very quiet and silent and... I liken it to the feeling um, how I felt the morning I woke up. I was in America when Donald Trump was elected and you just don't quite believe what's happened. It's that shock, you know. Um, it, was, it felt like that, it, it felt like a dream. Um, and then we went back to work on Monday and that's when it really became quite real for me. I started to hear the stories of um, what had happened in the hospital um, it was it was nothing confidential. It was in, in the in the news, but it was um, hearing from colleagues and things what they had experienced. Um, but also, um, our then chief people officer at the time, you know, did some fantastic communication, sharing just what our clinicians did to save those people's lives. And I just felt so proud to be a part of that workplace and a part of that, the wider team that um, that did such fantastic fantastic work on that day um, f it didn't impact directly on the work I was doing at the hospital but there was a massive um, staff welfare program that was stood up that many people around me were contributing to and I felt really concerned about our staff um, because it's working in a hospital environment hard enough um, and then adding that event on to the earthquakes. I just, I felt that people were probably already on tipping edge and I was very concerned at, at what it would do, but um, everyone will have their own story and their impacts. But I, I, I think our clinicians just continued to show how phenomenal they were and they just got back to business as usual. I remember, I think then saying, you know, um, they shut ED, but then by like 7 p.m. that night, ED was back op operating, you know, and I just, 
so proud but concerned at the same time. So that sort of both touches on personal and professional around the, the immediate events of moss shooting. And did you get involved in any of the um, services or the um, you know, anything following that was following the, not, the shootings? Not particularly. Um, I felt um, I didn't really want to go to those personally. I know a lot of people that did. I, I shared my grief in a much more personal, I um, mean, a more introverted way. Um, I did take my team to go down, my team at work, and go down and visit the, the flower wall. Um, which was lovely and really moving, but I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable to go to the um, the, the big ceremonies. I preferred to watch them um, online and things like that. That was more how I dealt with it by myself. Um, uh, I did the Student Volunteer Army did do a few things afterwards, which was fantastic, and again made me feel that sense of pride in the community, um, like with after the earthquakes. Um, but I didn't directly get involved with that. They were leading, the, the students at the time were leading that and did a fantastic job. Um, yeah. Um, and then we had COVID. <laughs> I know, isn't this amazing? You just go from one, two, three. So if we can just think about the lockdown period. Sure. If you can go back to that. Um, so that was from around about 26th of March to 28th of April was that lockdown, which which we will call the lockdown period. So I guess that's a level four mm. when we were really, um, you know, shut down um, and its impact on your life. Can, can you sort of tell me what it was like for you during that period? Sure. So uh, my now husband and I got married on the 14th of March. So we, it was incredible. We had our, first, we had our full wedding, nothing changed. It literally the night, so the night of our wedding was when stuff started to get really insane. Um, I think it was on the Tuesday Jacinda announced that there was starting to get restrictions and then the following Monday was when we were in lockdown. So we had just come off this high of our wedding and um, which was already an amazingly, amazing time, but also a weird time because there's just so much going on in your life, to then go into this huge event, which was lockdown. Um, so I, um, we did have a very small honeymoon, but I had a lot of international friends here just for the wedding. Um, and so some of them got stuck here. So I ended up, um, before that lockdown period, the 28th, I, I helped them sort of leave and, and sort out all their affairs. So it was, it was quite an odd time. But um, the actual lockdown period, I um, was able to work remotely, which was fantastic. So I could have been at work, but um, because we were considered a central service. Um, but as we worked in an office, we didn't really need to be there. So I continued to work as normal throughout COVID at home. My husband wasn't working, he's a builder. So he was sitting at home the whole time, um, which was quite an interesting dynamic for us. Um, I felt very lucky that I could continue working because it continued to have that sense of routine. Um, I, I and you know I think the idea of having you know two or have what it was it six weeks holidays sounds nice in practice, but I think it prob a lot of people probably struggled um, not having things to do or knowing what to do. So I I felt really really um, lucky to be able to continue working as per normal. Um, my work got quite ramped up. There was it was a very uncertain time for our staff, as as you'd understand, and um, I led a lot of our. Um, communications and relationships with our union partners which was really really great they were supporting their people and we were trying to support them as well um, so it wasn't business as usual work that I was working on we was you know dealing with the COVID response in our hospital um, which was quite a weird time for staff as well because so many um, elective things were cancelled so the hospitals themselves were quite quiet but there was a lot of fear among staff about what it you know what is what is going on with COVID? Is it going to come in? And I uh, really empath, um, sorry, empathised with that. Um, yeah. And your husband wasn't able to work at all. And was it just the two of you in your bubble? It was just the two of us in our bubble. Yeah. So that was our honeymoon. Stuck together for six weeks in our house, or however long it was. Yeah. So you weren't able to see any of your friends or family. How did that feel? No. 
Um, I lived I lived away uh, overseas for two years um, from my husband and my family, um, so it was hard. But I'm also very, from that experience, very used to FaceTiming and, and keeping in touch with people um, digitally. Most of my best friends live overseas, so it wasn't particularly difficult not to see them in person. Um, um, the hardest thing I found was I think I felt quite trapped like most people and I understand I completely agreed with everything the government did but just the day in day out I can't go to my coffee shop I can't you know, I just walk around the block, same day, walk around the block. It just felt like Groundhog Day. The day just continued to go round and round and round. Um, you know, go like everyone going to the supermarket was a bit exciting. Um, but we were very um, lucky to, 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 you know, continue. I was able to continue to earn money and, and live in a comfortable house during the period. So it was great. So I, I miss my family and friends, but I didn't. It, that wasn't the biggest impact on me um, during COVID. Um, and work was certainly a real positive that you could keep had something to do every day. Yes, definitely, a hundred percent. That continued routine uh, and connection to colleagues was really nice and really good. Um, yeah. It, I don't know, it felt, COVID felt, um, that lockdown period felt so long yet so short. It was the most bizarre time warp I've felt ever. It like felt like it blinked and it went. When I look back I said, wow, six weeks, I didn't know however long it was. But then when you, each day you're like, oh, that, what's going on today? I, I still reflect on that, the t I call it the time warp, because 2020 I guess has felt like that in general. Yeah, different to the earthquakes though, yeah. What about um, things that you liked about being in lockdown? Anything <laughs> that you liked that you can think of? I liked that I didn't spend so much money on coffees and going out and eating out. <laughs> um, I really liked that. Um, I liked, uh, I, I loved the, the community spirit. Um, in the nation. I mean, I loved how um, everyone banded together for the common good. And, and I know people probably didn't like lockdown and broke the rules, but I really felt a sense of pride in our nation as a whole during lockdown. Um, similar to how I felt about Christchurch during the earthquakes, I felt that for our whole nation. Um, and I loved what the, they were doing in the media, on the news at the time, um, sharing, you know, the, the small stories and, um, yeah, that was good. Um, trying to think of some more things I liked about lockdown, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure that I can. I mean, where I lived was great during lockdown, so I lived by the ocean out here by Sumner, so I was very lucky to be close to water, so our neighbourhood I could walk around the block and see some nice nature, which helped, yeah. What about, um, when did things actually start to change for you? When did, was it sort of the move to level three, did things start changing or? Yes, um, the move to level three um, was a big change because that um, meant I could go back into the office. Um, at that point I, I was allowed to go back um, and yeah, just crossing the causeway, getting out of your physical bubble was amazing. I remember the first um, bike ride that I did, because I bike in, in and out to work, and just this feeling of freedom. It was bizarre. And now you just take it for granted every day. You go back and forth. But, um, yeah, it was level three, getting back into the office, getting back to see colleagues, not just seeing my husband, um, allowing some of those small treats like, takeaway coffees and things um, was really great, yeah. Yeah, that was the biggest change. And then it got, it did get better, it, it was better, you know, going down the levels, it got better. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it was just the, the it's funny because I say, you know, what I wouldn't want to change was, you know, I liked not spending so much money, but then I did like 
being able to go and converse with the community, you know, um, go and get a coffee and talk to the person at the coffee shop and things like that. So that, you know, allowing those small things has definitely made it a lot better. Um, and yeah, getting back into work, getting out of um, what I called in the workspace is kind of like emergency mode because we're all sort of trying to respond to what's going on and all our efforts go to the COVID response um, and then allowing to do some normal business as usual work, you know, that, that helped as well. It didn't feel like such a emergency, if that kind of makes sense in, a, when I, in my workspace because mm. that keeps you on edge if you're continually working on responding to an emergency. Um, you know, all your normal day-to-day -day work changes, that, that heightened my anxiety quite a lot during that period. Um, yeah. Mm. So it was nice to, to feel the sense of normality for the work that I was used to, like, used to be doing um, to come back, which happened in Level 3 and as the mm. things changed, yeah. So did you go back, in level three, did you go back to your work, you know, your four days a week work mm. immediately? You didn't do some at home and some back? No, we did, I did some between. Um, and uh, I think I might have done one in the office and three at home mm -hmm. and then progressively increased that. Um, and now I'm fully set up to work from home. So I could work from home um, probably three days or four days if I really wanted to, but I actually prefer to go in the office because I like the the contact with my with my colleagues. Okay, so that's yeah. your main reason for being in the office, is it the contact with people? Yeah, yeah, mostly. Um, it, it makes it um, a lot easier to, to, to get things done because you can have conversations with people. Um, uh, yeah, and it's just kind of, um, low, it gets a bit lonely at home. I mean, you make I made it work during lockdown, but it's not, I'm not one of those people that came out of lockdown saying, oh, I just loved being away from people the whole time. And um, so when you ask me about my, my family and friends, um, I'm used to being quite virtual with them, but I think it's funny with colleagues, I, re I really want to be with them physically. Okay. So that's quite an interesting reflection I've just had then, yeah. And do you think it, it's, do you think you do your work better when you're with your colleagues? Yes. Physically? I think so. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm actually more productive. I used to think I was more productive at home, but I think I'm more productive at work because I'm able to um, bounce things off colleagues and not, not necessarily stew on things and have to research them a lot deeper myself, if that kind of makes sense. I, I'm, I feel much more um, confident or able to tackle the work in front of me when I have my colleagues around me to validate some of my things. Yeah which you don't get quite so much when you're trying to do it online. No, not when you're by yourself at home, yeah. Even though you can connect with them virtually, it's just nice to have that person just sitting across there to ask them a quick question. What is it you think you miss from the online communication? Um, I don't know. I think it's just the availability of people to be right, right, you know, right there next to you. Um, online you've got to um, make an effort you've got to you know schedule a time and then call them up and yeah no but when you're in person with someone it's they're just there to to chat to anytime mm. have a laugh with that's much more effort online to do that I think yeah what about um just the pandemic and the ongoing pandemic, because we haven't finished with it no. yet, it seems to be going on and on and on. How do you think it's changed your life or the way you live your life, or has it? Hmm. I think it's... Um, I, um, so when I lived overseas, I obviously did a lot of travel, and I was I continued to do a lot of travel up until the pandemic so in terms of how it's changed my live my life that that's a really tangible thing in terms of travel and I don't think that I'll necessarily pick that up even if COVID opened up the borders again significantly I don't think I would um, do as much travel as I previously did because I, I just feel so happy and content in little old New Zealand so that's quite a an odd an odd um, 
odd thing that's come out of it. I mean, we all know we live in a beautiful country. Um, and maybe that's a reflection on the stage of life I'm in as well. But um, I think it's made me feel very grounded and at home in New Zealand, not a, not a um, continual urge to go and travel, which is probably weird because a lot of people are probably just, oh, I wish I could go traveling right now. It's done the opposite for me. Um, I guess on that vein, it's made me, um, yeah, just really embedded the privilege that we have to be in, in New Zealand um, from how our country's handled it. Um, made me a lot more grateful and because and, it's just evident every single day um, how our country's dealt with the response is it enabled us to continue to live the life that we have today um, and so it's more it's more evident than ever how lucky we are to be Kiwis and in New Zealand um, so it's probably shifted my state of mind and my perspective um, if I feel like I'm having a bad day it's so much easier to to remember how I'm not having a bad day you know I can go out and walk around you know, you read the news. I'm, I'm always read international news, and so I've just got a constant reminder in front of me of how lucky I am to be in New Zealand. Um, so, prior to the pandemic, mm. had your sort of your thoughts for the future, your plans for the future, involved travelling? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, my husband and I had probably planned to go and. Um, maybe live overseas for a few years, not not in London, probably somewhere else. We didn't exactly know where, um, but that's off the cards now, um, and not something that I want to do anyway. Um, I'm very very happy uh, being here in New Zealand. It's not that I don't think we're ever going to travel again. I think the world's going to open up. I think it's just really again, it's just this, the most. Um, visual or confronting um, example of that's just grounded me in wanting to stay in New Zealand because of how how our country's hand handled COVID and the lack of impact it's had on me compared to what I can see it could have around. It's very abstract, I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> yeah. And have you... Um what about in terms of your well-being? Because mm. you said you do get quite anxious, and, and yep. that, that the you know you, you sort of put that back to possibly around the earthquakes times. Mm. COVID made has the pandemic made you feel anxious? Yeah, definitely. Um, again, it was um, never the fear of getting COVID. Never scared of that. It was the the cha the change in the external circumstances and the lack of control around that. So while I didn't notice it at the time reflecting back my anxiety was quite high um, and I, I you know there's just small things I notice in terms of when that's peaking particularly at work and, and things like that um, so yes it definitely did um, increase increase the anxiety during COVID because of yeah not knowing what was going to happen next you know we were waiting for that next announcement on on the alert levels just like to some extent in the earthquakes we're waiting for that next earthquake but it was never it was never what it was never fear of the earthquake or fear of um, getting COVID it was what the next thing how that would impact on my day-to-day -day life um, which is so funny as you reflect because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow even in, in a COVID or earthquake or any type of time, but those those experiences heighten that feeling of lack of control. Um, so, yes, it did. But I'm much better now um, than I was during COVID. It wasn't wasn't as bad as the earthquakes for me, the anxiety, um, but it definitely was a trigger. Yeah. And how did that represent the anxiety? Did it make you want to sort of? stay at home or what did it make you want to do? Yeah. Um, Can you remember? During, during COVID. Mm. Just a feeling. I think it made me want to feel, um, yeah, it's, it sort of manifests in different ways, but feeling like I wanted to escape a little bit, which you actually physically couldn't do. <laughs> couldn't do. 
Um, so escape mentally. So I would, um, I'd usually um, want to, you know, in my downtime, read quite, you know, stimulating things like or watch TED Talks or read the news. But I just felt like I really had to escape um, by watching comedy or um, doing other things like that because it just felt so heavy on my brain during COVID. Um, so the anxiety manifested in a in a in a way in a feeling of like I wanted to escape, and that how that came out for me was, yeah, trying to en engross my mind in in things that didn't require such high level thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's that sense of not being able to control anything. So. Yes. So why why do so much thinking? Because I can't make a difference anyway. Well, yeah, pretty much. Is yeah. It? Yeah, no, it is. That's that you've you've sort of clarified that statement there. Yeah, yeah. And you know, everyone in um, COVID coped with it differently and did, did different things to get through. Um, you know, some people, you know, turned to alcohol. Some people, um, you know, I don't know, cleaned their house top to top to bottom. But for me, it was really trying to switch off switch off the thinking because I was just so overstimulated during COVID because of the work I was doing but also um, just what was going on in the news all the time yeah it was like every announcement was like an almost like another earthquake if you tried to compare the two experiences yeah but I'm sure the, the earthquakes had enabled me a level of resilience that in COVID that I wouldn't have experienced otherwise um, and that I'm sure there's people that Coastuch did quite well during it because it's like, hey, we've been through this, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was still hard, but maybe it wasn't as hard as it would have been. Yeah. Um, what about, um, you've talked a little bit about your thoughts or plans for the future, so it certainly impacted yeah. on your plans. Any, any other sort of plans for the future or aspirations that you think might have been impacted by the pandemic? that you might have had or career-wise or... Um yeah. Um, so I mentioned at the start that I've, I'm doing a coaching course um, and um, basically coaching, I'm not sure if you know not much about it, is it's trying to help people be their best selves and help them move from, say, a 5 to a 10. It's not like counselling or psychologists which is you know people with problems to sort of help them get get more balanced and so I think I realized um, during COVID I'd always been predisposed to helping people and a lot of my friends and they always come to me as that sort of confidant and that happened a lot <coughs> during COVID um, and so I think I got a sense of clarity that what I thought was just something um, I wanted to do on the site, you know, help my friends and have good conversations. I, I realised during COVID that that was something actually I wanted to pursue a bit more. Um, so friends came to me to discuss what was going on for them and they got benefit from those conversations. And so I thought, oh, I actually quite like doing this. So that's what enabled me to then um, decide to take that next step to do a bit more study in that space. So it has changed... The, the space that I had for um, to speak with people about what was going on for them and the value I gained equally from doing that, feeling connected and feeling like I was helping, helped me think about where I might want to go next um, professionally or or another sort of string to my bow in the professional sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, no massive career transitions like <laughs> like you hear some people um, experience during COVID. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just what do you think has helped you or is helping you sort of get through this mm. ongoing event? Um, it's, it sounds terrible, but again, coming back to just seeing how our country's handled it, um, reading the news um, 
of how it's not being handled well in other countries helps me, gives me perspective that I feel um, it's not so bad. So when I'm feeling like I'm having a bad day or I feel stressed or, you know, what's going on with COVID, you read what's going on elsewhere and it makes me feel better, which is not, which isn't very good because it's at the expense of others. Um, definitely connection with family and friends helps a lot in, in sharing what's your, what you're going through. Um, but again, life has returned to such a period for me of feeling of normality that I sometimes, and I feel guilty saying it, forget what, what's going on, you know, and I know Auckland's just had another lockdown, um, but, you know, we switch back to normal mode very, very quickly. Um, I, I think like most, I, um, I, I'm not a massive social media user, but I think staying off that and being really intentional about staying off that helps, has helped a lot. Um, particularly in the height of COVID when there was just a lot of stuff going around and, and um, so I, I've maintained that, staying off that, um, which is funny because I still read the news, which um, can be two sides of the same coin. Um, yeah. So you don't feel you need social media to connect with your friends or anything? No, not, not social media in the sense of, uh, I mean I've never had an Instagram, but um, in the sense of, you know, like posting, you know, you can still have, um, connect with people via messenger chat or chat functions, but not the, the social media where you blast out to everyone what you're doing. No. Yeah. I think that's, that's been quite harmful for some during COVID. Um, yeah. It's a more targeted social media. Approach. Yeah, well, just you just use social media to individually. I mean, I guess it's just texting or emailing, but there's social media platforms that allow you to do that. Um, so that's why I don't like to colour all of social media with the same brush because I still use aspects of it, um, but it's just not the posting and the, the blasting out of, of things that um, I continue to use because I don't... That's not helpful. Yeah. And just... Lastly, have you got any ideas of um, what we still need to do or what could be done to make things better for young women in Christchurch or Tatahu at this time and in the future? What do we still need to do to support and help young women You know, as a result of COVID and perhaps the things that mm. young women have been through in Christchurch? I think the first thing that... Um, I think it's a really hard world out there for young people despite being privileged in New Zealand I think it's there's a lot of pressure on young people um, and I'm not when I say young people I don't necessarily think my generation my age group of this 25 to 30 I'm thinking like the you know 10 to 20 as they're going through those pivotal stages um, and I think people forget if I, if I look at the women you know going through COVID and the March 15 and um, uh, the earthquakes I think you know we could do more to um, remind um, young women of the strength and power they've gained from going through those those experiences and I mean I say that's the first thing that's come to mind because it's what I've reflected on just speaking in this and I think it's easy to focus on the negatives of all those things and the, the um, it's easy to create a victim mentality when we could do better to promote um, promote going through those things as something that yes has been hard but you've gained all these things from it as well and I also feel I feel like that reflects a little bit just naturally of how the media represents Christchurch and it's and that's that's normal you know you always focus on the bad but I think there's real value to be gained especially for young women um, who come into turbulent times in their life to say, you know, it's okay, you've, you've, you've been through some crappy stuff before. Look, you got through the earthquakes, you got through this, you know, you can get through that. And I think that enables us the opportunity to turn something that is negative into something that can be tangibly taken with you and you can remember it. And I, again, I know that's quite abstract, but I, I think if we could shift some thinking around that and really put it out in quite a... Um, positive way you know you're strong because of this not you're weak because of this and you're damaged and broken um there could be some real value in that 
um, that's top of mind. There's many other things I'm sure that we could do to support young women, but and then it's how do we do that? How do we do that? Yeah. Well, um, what are our avenues for that? Yes. I mean, I think the power of exactly what you're doing here, storytelling, um, the power of um, imagery, you know, art, that type of thing. Um, people need to see themselves um, in... If you're trying to get a message across, people need to see themselves in that message. So, you know, some kind of... Um, I mean, I love the campaigns that the council and um, the DHB do around all right and things like that. I would love to see a campaign that focuses on... And I'm not just young women, but, but particularly if we were going to choose a group, young women, um, sharing small tidbits or quotes about, you know, going through this, help me do this, or, and just those really short, punchy things, you know, you see those billboards, you see, you hear someone talking about it, you're like, yeah, that's actually the same for me too. And, and it might just shift some thinking. Um, it's completely top of, you know, random thought, but... Um, Often the random thoughts are the ones that you know, uh, um, you know, can be can be most relevant. Um, the visual representation you think is is good out in communities because I guess you know then you sort of think well, you get these visual representations and then you you know share them in various communities. Exactly. Yeah, where young women are, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think there's, I mean, there's so much about, you know, women need to feel empowered. It's, it, you know, society naturally makes women feel disempowered. And, and I mean, I've, I've had so much amazing leadership training and I still struggle to feel like my voice is valued at the table. You know, I'm a lawyer, I've got all these credentials and it's so classic among women about the imposter syndrome and things. So I think for young women, you know, um, giving that permission space that you do have a voice, you do have something of value to say, um, that would be probably the other side of the coin. Um, and I'm not, again, I know you're going to ask me how do we do that. Um, but I think really reinforcing that and being very conscious about giving women, young women, space to speak because they start at a minus 10 as opposed to boys that would start at the zero um, because they've naturally, you know, in high schools and things, feel more confident to speak up. So I think providing avenues to do that could be really powerful. Listen to more stories from Making the Most of Now on Plains FM 96.9, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 5pm. And get the podcast at plainsfm.org.nz. Spotify and Apple Podcasts.